0: Good morning, friends. We're going to take a minute to go to the Lord before we spend some time in prayer. Um, Whatever you're in, whatever you're feeling, let's bring it to our Lord. Gracious God, we are grateful to be in your presence. We ask that we would believe what you have said to us is true, and that we might submit all of who we are to you, that your name may be given glory, that we might be made whole, that your love might fill the earth. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Psalm 37 verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Proverbs 14:29. One who has a hasty temper exalts foolishness. Proverbs 29:22. One given to anger stirs up strife, and a hot head causes much transgression. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9, do not be quick to anger, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Ephesians four thirty one: put away from yourself all bitterness and wrath and anger. I'm going to be honest, I heard a lot of these scriptures in my younger days. People in my life, adults that were responsible to me or responsible for me, would quote them at me in a vain attempt to stem the tide of my anger. Some teens, when they experience the changes of their bodies and their minds as they begin to experience the wider world, they become like sad and mopey. That's their coping. Me, I got mad. I got angry. I also think some people are just more predisposed by family context, by birth order, by personality, by cultural setting, to be angry. And I think I just happen to have the right cocktail of anger as my first response. Even as a young person, before I hit puberty, before I was really even reasoning fully, I was confused as to how people could interact and see the world, and not just be angry all the time. It seemed to me that the whole world was overcome with things that were unjust and unfair, things that were threatening to people who were vulnerable, and it felt like no one in the whole world was paying attention. I struggled with these scriptures that would quote at me, pulled from their context, I was frustrated that the adults who were near me felt like my anger was something to be squashed, something to be ignored or shut down or repented of, as if ignoring it was going to solve the problems at the root of my experience. Even as an adult, of every emotion I feel, and there are many, anger is my first response. Nine times out of ten. Maybe you're not like me. That's true for most of you in this room, right? Maybe anger isn't your natural primary emotion when something happens. Maybe you have personally never chafed under the restraints of misused texts trying to keep you in check. But culturally speaking, Christianity has often quoted the scriptures some that I've mentioned, some that I haven't, out of a desire to restrain anger. Because if anger is negative and taboo, socially unacceptable and shameful, then any system of power is going to benefit, right? Anger is a dangerous thing when left unrestrained. After all, we live in a society, which means there are structures, formal and informal, governments, systems, social expectations, and anger is not something that is fully neutral when there is power present. Christianity has lots of scriptures that talk about anger, but most of the ones we reference are short snippets pulled from their context and time, used as weapons, tools to keep anger from becoming an acceptable, social emotion. We also have to deal with, beyond the Christian sphere, the cultural lies that are told about anger, like that aggression is the opposite of self-control, which a study, a psychology study done just this year, proved to in fact be the opposite most of the time. Or maybe another lie that anger is a base emotion only for people who are returning to a barbaric way of thinking and functioning, a call back to the old systems before we were enlightened, developed, evolved. Not everyone, let's be honest, is held to the same standards about anger. You know that there are some subsets in our communities that are in fact encouraged to express their anger without reservation, whatever consequences might occur. And so we're experiencing lies about anger from more than one angle in more than one way. It's inconsistent across the board. This means there are conflicting ideas about how we are to understand the complicated emotion of anger. I do want to be as clear as I can here. Anger is a tool, but it can turn into a weapon. And as a weapon, it ought only be used in self-defense or in combat when addressing larger cultural issues. It is not a singular emotion that we ought to live in, as we should not live in any single space. And if anger is valued for its own ends, it can become corrosive and harmful. It should not be nurtured as much as it should not be ignored. Both have end results of harm for those experiencing it. So today we're going to talk about anger, and we're going to tell the truth about it. The whole truth, and nothing but the truth, according to the scriptures. And the scriptures teach us that anger, and the truth of it, is not good or bad, but neutrality. Anger is an emotion, which means that it does not bear moral weight. It cannot be good or bad inherently in the experience of that emotion. Anger is created as all of our emotions are by God. And we see in the scriptures more than once, more than twice, more than ten times, God and Jesus both portrayed as expressing and acting in anger. So it cannot be sin, cannot bear moral weight, it's not strong enough, And as we consider these things, I think we can understand that the way that anger is seen in the world, in the church, maybe even in your own mind, is not always consistent with what the scriptures have to say. Often when people are talking about the anger of Jesus, they'll reference the same story, shows up in all four gospels in different places, of Jesus in the temple, sending out the money changers with the whip, or whatever else he's got in his hands. When they tell that story, often people who are referencing it will say things like, Jesus knew when to get angry. He waited a day before he reacted to what he was feeling. So we're only allowed to be angry when it is righteous, when we have really thought about it. I think two things that are wrong here. This places an emotion in the story that is not present. There are places where it tells us Jesus is angry, but this is not technically one of them. I think it's not totally improper to apply that emotion into the text, but we have to be honest that it's not there in the story. It also incorrectly labels this anger that we see in Jesus, if not named, as righteous. But for the second time, that's a thing that the scriptures itself does not contain. There is no designation, except for our own, as we look at Jesus's anger in these moments. I think we like the idea of righteous anger because it gives us a chance to create a category of acceptable anger. And in a culture where anger has more weight, we want a good space, right? But even this categorization of anger ignores the fact that often righteousness comes not from the truth of the matter, but our own justification of that matter. Any anger can be righteous if you feel about it strongly enough. And so, if we are people of God, which I hope that we seek to be, we want to know anger and its usefulness for us as believers, without turning it into something that it's not. So we're going to look at a different story from the life of Jesus, where Jesus gets angry, and we're going to see what we can learn from this moment. We're going to read in Mark chapter three, we're going to verses one through six. I'm in the New Revised Standard. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man who was there who had a withered hand. They were watching him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? but they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Jesus is in the synagogue, a pretty typical place for Jesus to be. And it's the Sabbath, just as you would expect it a day of rest, a day of the Lord. And as Jesus and his disciples enter, they see a man suffering under the reality of human frailty, a disabled man with a withered hand. The whole crowd is watching Jesus, it says, to see if he would cure him. So Jesus calls the man forward. He's conscious of the crowd. And he says out loud, not to anybody in particular, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill? And the onlookers give no answer. They're just watching Jesus. It then tells us that Jesus looked around at them in anger and that he is grieved by their hardness of hearts. Jesus looks at this crowd of Normal synagogue goers, religious leaders, onlookers who had been following him around. And when Jesus looks at them, he sees their lack of response. He sees their system of Sabbath keeping that is placed wrongly. They stayed quiet when he questioned them because the scriptures said no work on the Sabbath, but the religious cultural rules, the social expectations, were no work, even good work, on the Sabbath. Jesus, in this moment, is reminded again that the people were not moved to compassion, and instead they were acting under religious cultural rule. They did not see the man for who he was and what he was suffering with. This failure to address the personal need of this man, this refusal of anyone to address a broken system of religious keeping, And their failure to recognize the hypocrisy, the inconsistency in their actions meant that Jesus is angry in this moment. It also mentions Jesus' grief at their hardened hearts, hearts that were not moved by compassion to help one in need, one who is a part of their community. And we should notice that this grief does not soften Jesus' anger but rather is a root of why he is angry. It is the deeper emotion that his anger is fueled by. Anger for most of us serves as a flag, an indicator that something is not right. Ben Warfield, who's a scholar, says that anger has pain at its root and is a reaction of the soul to that which gives discomfort. That doesn't mean that every anger we feel is an indicator of outside acting wrongly on us. Sometimes we feel angry when someone cites us for something that we have rightly done wrong. However, when Jesus in this moment acts in his anger, and he does act in his anger, he disrupts the system that is ruling and he heals the hand of this man. Anytime that we see Jesus angry, it is because of systems and groups and communities that stand between people and the grace and mercy and love of God. One of the greatest and strongest descriptors of Jesus' anger is when he's interacting with the children, and they have been blocked from coming to see him by his own disciples. and He is angry, deeply disturbed, the text tells us, because someone in this moment very close to him was between those who needed grace and love and Jesus. When we consider this story about Jesus, Jesus in the synagogue, healing the hand of the withered man, it's important for us to notice that Jesus is not acting and expressing his anger in ways that are personal. He doesn't name an individual. He doesn't pick a fight with one particular person. His anger is oriented to groups, communities, structures that block people from getting to God. Jesus is also not expressing anger in ways that are abusive or contemptful. They're not insulting or harmful in that same way. When Jesus is offering a direct attack, it's not about a moral value of someone else, but rather about so much more than any one person. No one in this group would disagree that anger, when it is fueled by self-focus, when it is held as a grudge, when it is deeply personal to someone specific, that it can be tremendously damaging. Someone who uses anger as a weapon against others and reacts with physical or emotional or mental violence against another person is in sin. But we have to remember that anger itself is not the issue. Anger is an indicator of something else that is off, something that is wrong. Anger cannot be morally good or morally bad because it is an emotive reality does not have the strength to bear moral weight for us. It's easy to pick on anger as an emotional problem, as something to be solved, because often we do not wish to dig and identify that which lies underneath it. But if we are people who wish to live lives like Jesus, we should recognize anger as it is, as a tool, one that God has given us to help identify and root out injustice and corruption in the world and in ourselves. We can learn to see anger when it arises and dig deeper to find out what pain is causing this indication. We start by recognizing what anger feels like for us. In our minds, in our bodies, anger sits for me in my throat. Sometimes it is so great it is as if I cannot even swallow. I feel it so closely. For some of you, it's in the back of your head like a deep, resounding drum. If we don't know how to identify our anger, we'll never be able to use it rightly. Identifying anger also means not calling it by other names, softer names. Some of you consider anger to be just frustration, irritation, being a little upset. You call your anger annoyance, displeasure. All of those labels are true, but by failing to identify anger as itself, we are not giving ourselves the opportunity to use it in the way that God would wish us to. Some of you have been taught from a very early age to repress and ignore and shut down and set aside your anger. Some of you have been Ignoring it for so long, you don't even know how to recognize it, what it looks like anymore. Anger is itself an emotive experience, and though when we indulge too deeply in it, it becomes harmful, to ignore it, to repress it, also creates corrosion within ourselves. Our third portion of our steps is to dig. When you know what anger looks like, when you've called it rightly what it is, we investigate and seek to find what is causing pain. I'm going to be properly honest here. This part is hard. This is why many of us do not wish to look at our anger any longer than we have to. To identify the root of pain, pain that has sometimes been going on for a long time, pain that may require repentance, pain that may bear guilt. We do not wish to look at it, and so we do not dig. But knowing that pain and grief are at the base, often, of our anger allows us the chance to investigate. Am I, in this moment, angry with myself for something that I now recognize was acting out of what was reasonable and harm to somebody else? Am I angry at someone specific who harmed someone that I love? And do I feel disappointment at the root of that? Am I angry because of a system that doesn't allow people to get ahead, that feels unmovable and I feel hopeless? Am I angry at a world that practices violence as a substitute for transformation? And do I feel grief at that? Anger cannot be righteous, not properly, but it can create a righteous response. But not before we work out the pain at its root and the reality of God's response to that pain. Anger by itself doesn't solve any problems. But neither does a lack of anger eliminate the problems that caused it in the first place don't think that ignorance of or suppression of anger is a more righteous response to the great injustices and grief in our world. This sermon and all the texts we've read and all the texts of scriptures don't give permission for personal attacks, for holding a long grudge, outsized violence, or the feeding and fueling of anger. But what this conversation, I hope, does recognize, rightly, is that anger has been turned into an easy villain, and in doing so, many within our faith have lost the ability to use it as a tool, just as it was intended, as an indication for when something is wrong. As we continue individually and communally to grow, if we can learn to identify anger within ourselves, if we can dig deep, And identify the hurts that are present in that emotion then we can act righteously out of that anger to create worlds and homes and environments that are more just more safe more holy for everyone in our world by reclaiming and rightening the emotion of anger as a neutral reality it turns back into a tool for creating a more righteous And Godly world. The facts of the matter are that the world is unjust. Things are not as they ought to be. Anger is, in fact, perhaps the only right response to a world that is filled with such pain and grief and scarcity and harm and shame and separation and death itself. To not feel anger within yourself within the world is to be disconnected from a necessary part of yourself, to be detached from an important signal God has given us for working in the world. Anger, like each of our emotions, can offer us an important signal for understanding the world, and to be believers means to welcome all parts of ourselves and submit them to the service of God. You've been listening to me, Pastor Kana Moore, at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to those local, national, and international missions, and they help keep these broadcasts free. If you would like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our website at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the donate button. Or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas 67601. If you have any questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our website and click on the contact us form. Thank you for your generosity. and May God bless you as you seek to follow him.